Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. As you know, we've been spending a lot of airtime in the past two shows talking about the killing of Cecil the Lion in Zimbabwe, killed by an American dentist who is still in hiding. We have spoken with Jane Velez Mitchell, with Professor Lisa Kemmerer, and with psychologist Dr. Frida Birnbaum about this particular case, about hunting in general, about trophy hunting, and about the motivating factors that underlie hunting and many other topics related to hunting, whether legal or not. Peter and I have also given our thoughts, and I want to thank everyone for your comments and support of these episodes. And we will continue to follow the news as it unfolds. And continuing along these lines, I'm going to welcome a remarkable guy with a powerful and poignant story. And right now, he is perhaps the most famous former hunter on earth. Chris Lee is with us now from just outside of Cape Town, South Africa where he is a businessman, a musician, and a yachtsman. Welcome to the program, Chris. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Chris, I became aware of the impact that the killing of Cecil had on you when I was forwarded your Facebook post in which you very publicly described your decision to stop hunting. Before the killing, what sort of hunting were you engaged in and how much a part of your life was it? I would say I was fairly typical of a lot of people out here. Um, I'll say from from the off that I was never really into trophy hunting. I I live in a city. And uh, typically what we would do is we would go out into the country once or twice a year. Um, For me, it was mainly the Eastern Cape, which is about 500 kilometers from where I live. And we would go with various uh, antelope species and... um, you know, in one hunt, and we would uh, butcher them and bring them home and uh, eat them. Uh, So that was the kind of hunter that I was. And um, I've been doing that for many, many years. I'm 52 now, and I probably started when I was early teens um, along those lines. How did you first hear about the killing of Cecil, and what was your initial reaction to it, Chris? I actually posted something on my Facebook page uh, the first time I heard about it. I was actually, I read it in the Daily Telegraph in London uh, online and I read through it and uh, I, yes, I I was horrified. Um, And I posted something on my Facebook page along the lines of flipping unbelievable. And I think that was about the Tuesday. um, And over the course of the week, it just got me thinking about the whole situation. Then there was obviously a lot of media coverage and I was watching it develop on Sky, in particular Sky in the UK. And, um, yeah, uh, and for me, it's not just the Cecil story. It's also, you know, there's been a lot of this recently. Um, in South Africa at the moment, we have a an absolutely tragic situation developing around rhino poaching uh, right now, which is always in the news. So... You know, poaching, um, you know, this, this kind of uh, rapacious hunting, um, it's very much top of media in South Africa. So that also had an impact. But I think just the sheer barbarity of what happened in, in Zimbabwe was, was quite astounding. 
Um, and over the next couple of days, uh, I was reflecting on the whole situation. And then essentially what happened, my thought processes went along the lines of, well, hang on a bit. What right do I actually have to be this angry with this guy? When in actual fact, when you boil it down, we're not that much different because essentially um, this guy is enjoying what he does, evidently, or I, I assume he is. Yeah. Um, and um, and I enjoyed what I was doing, um, which ultimately uh, came to the same result, you know, a dead animal. And um, I'm not really distinguishing at all between the species or the, in inverted commas, type of hunting. I think really what it boils down to is a desensitization to the notion that you're actually killing something. Um, and that was kind of what I grappled with for a few days. And when I, I realized that actually, uh, certainly the way I worked it out in my own mind, that I really didn't have a right to be angry with this guy and nevertheless was at the same time uh, quite abhorred with what had gone on. Uh, in that instant, really, the decision made itself. I just couldn't actually see myself ever pulling a trigger again. It was as simple as that. And that kind of took me about two days to, to come to that conclusion. And uh, once I'd come to the conclusion, well, it was very simple. You know, it was very clear what I needed to do. Yeah. Uh, what, what was a surprise, uh, well, firstly, the, the whole Facebook thing was, was quite spontaneous. Um, I'd actually just removed the scope from the rifle and um, I was basically taking all the bits off because I, I was going to take it to the police. And uh, I said to my son, well, take a photo of your dad with, his, with a rifle in his hands for the last time. And he did. And I looked at it and I just stuck it on Facebook just like that. So I actually didn't, didn't think about it, nothing. And, uh, and, and <laughs> yeah, clearly I was quite astounded at the reaction. Yeah. Um, yes. You're, you, the, by the way, your post has been shared more than 10,000 times, and people worldwide yeah. are so grateful and impressed with you, Chris. Well, it was all quite spontaneous. Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm amazed by it, and I'm amazed at the reaction. Um, a, a number of takeaway points from the comments that I've had. Um, firstly, I, I am actually quite surprised at how very little negative comments I've had. Um, and a lot of people have asked me, you know, said um, things like, you know, ignore the haters and all of this kind of thing, which, by the way, I, I, I really am not in the least bit concerned about that. And uh, the simple reason being that I'm 100% happy with the decision I made. And if anyone doesn't like it, well, that's not my problem. Um, so, but just generally... Um, you know, the kind of comments that I've had have been overwhelmingly positive, um, very thoughtful. I mean, uh, and, and quite astounding at how many people are out there with the message, you know, albeit unwittingly, um, you know, that, that, that was on my Facebook page, how that message resonated so fast. I, I'm quite astounded. I still am. Um, certainly from a personal point of view, it's opened up. Yeah, so many, so many different channels in my own thinking about, you know, how did I come to be where I am now talking to you in America when, you know, last week I was just a, you know, a guy who stuck something on Facebook. Um, 
I've been contacted by so many people who are obviously very thoughtful people who have been wrestling with this entire subject clearly for, for a lot longer than I have. But I think where it boils down to is, I, I think it's very simple, is it right or wrong? Or certainly, I'm talking about myself now, I can't speak for others. Yeah. But is it right or is it wrong to take a life? I think it boils down to that. Uh, the context is irrelevant, um, but I think it's as simple as that. I mean, clearly, I think it's quite clear where I came down on, on that question. Um, and I will certainly never take, point my rifle when I don't have one anymore. Although it's going to come back to me, apparently it's going to be it's going to be turned into a work of art. I've had an artist on to me who who, who wants to do something with a rifle. So, <laughs> um, but Chris, I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, I really that, do. right. It, 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 sorry to interrupt you. Have you yeah. had private discussions with the people you used to hunt with, and what are they saying? Um, actually, m most have remained completely silent on the matter and i'm not surprised um i have had one discussion uh with a, a colleague of mine uh who basically voiced the opinion that he thought what i've done was admirable um it's a very personal subject I, I suppose and i think also when you're dealing with men um in particular i think men uh certainly speaking for me uh, find these things hard to unpack and uh, me and my big mouth are going to stick it on Facebook as well, <laughs> but um, I, I think it's I think it's one of these things that starts early in life, and we add constructs to justify our behaviour. And, and my suspicion is deep down, a lot of people are actually uneasy with it. Um, but as adults, we become very adept at creating constructs to justify what it is that we're doing. I mean, the classic example is, is the one that I always used to use. And in fact, if you look at my post, I even use it there. And that is when you say, oh, I only hunted for the pot. Now, you actually unpack that. Um, when I went shooting or uh, hunting, I never drove less than 400 kilometers to do it and 400 back. Clearly, I'm not, you know, I'm not hungry. So I'm saying I'm actually shooting to eat. No, I'm not. So let's be clear about that. Um, I'm shooting because I enjoy it. And ultimately, you enjoy killing. Um, and I know that, and I'll tell you how I know it, because I was always very frustrated when I went hunting and didn't shoot something. And I was always very happy when I did. So I think the truth lies in there somewhere. So, you know, we're very good at creating constructs around our actions to justify what it is that we do. Uh, my suspicion is deeper down there is an unease there, um, which may or may not be conscious. I think in my own hunting career, it wasn't particularly conscious. Um, the whole events of the last the last month um, really did make me think about it hard. Um, and for me, it was just kind of seeing myself standing against uh, Palmer and coming to the logic that actually there's very little difference between us. Um, you know, in, in terms of our ability and, and desire to kill. But, um, yeah, that was the only conclusion I could come to. Don't go away. We're speaking with former hunter Chris Lee. You're listening to Animals Today.
Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. the problem security systems are antiquated and old what do you got some motion sensors some strippy things on the windows seriously when did they invent that the 40s and we pay month after month after month for security 30 bucks for peace of mind forget about it introducing the plug and safe portable sensor alarm listen to this puppy you take it out of the box you flip on the on switch in 30 seconds it scans your house with recently declassified military technology with infrasonic wave technology it knows your house better than you know your house anybody touches a window or a door, any point of entry, bang, the siren goes off, and the siren goes off with the legal limit of sound. You could have a party with a hundred people singing and dancing, hooting and hollering house. It won't go off until someone touches the door or the window. This is the cutting edge security system that's never been on the market before because it's been recently declassified, a military technology that now you can have in your home. Here's the deal. Flip it on. Maybe you're in a hotel. Maybe you're in a condo. Maybe you're on vacation. Maybe the kid's in college. Maybe you have a garage, an RV, a boat, a house. It doesn't matter. You flip the switch and you have the peace of mind. If you have a security system, get one too. You know why? Your security system only works after they break in the door, after they break through the window. Isn't that a little late? This will warn you before anybody's come in. Normally it sells for $99. The plug and safe portable sensor alarm. Today, 50 people only, $29.99. You heard me right, $29.99 for the first 50 people to call. one 877 490 That's one 877 490 Go to MyCoolGadgets.com to check it out. MyCoolGadgets.com. If you don't love it, return it. Everything here, if you don't love it, money-back guarantee, 30-day money-back guarantee. Pick it up, $29.99, one 877 490 or go to MyCoolGadgets.com. You're listening to America's Talk Radio Network, where America talks. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with former hunter Chris Lee. Chris, how were you introduced to hunting? Okay, uh, I'm going to predate that. Uh, I'm going to go back to when I was about six years old, because I actually think this is important. Um, it, I was still living in England, and actually my grandfather had a problem with pigeons on his allotment, uh, eating his seeds. And one day he handed me a air rifle. I was about six, six years old. And he instructed me to go out into the allotment and uh, take out these pigeons, oh. which, uh, which I did. 
And um, I'll never forget it because it was actually probably one of the most exciting things I ever did as a very young kid, um, you know, to be given that power and that approbation by a mentor um, that it was okay to go out there and start killing things. So I think the effect that that has, you know, if a, if a, if a mentor, you know, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or a guardian or whoever it is, uh, introduces a child to the notion of killing, it desensitizes one immediately to the point that you actually, it's now okay, that's fine. So that just becomes a norm. And the development of other kind of killing habits just naturally follow on from there. Um, so I would say, you know, in, 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 in terms of desensitization, um, it's an area that really needs to be looked at is the whole notion of uh, introducing children to firearms and killing. Yeah. Because once that seed is planted, it grows into adulthood and it gets buried under a lot of other stuff that uh, comes, gets, gets layered on top as you grow up. And uh, it just becomes normal behavior. And so for people who have not been involved with killing, I can completely understand them looking at going and saying, you know, what a monster you are. But you're actually a product of your upbringing. We all are. Um, and that really is the way it is, uh, or certainly the way I see it. And so in terms of dealing with or addressing uh, this, which I, I firmly believe should be done, uh, we can't continue uh, on this vein. I mean, I live in Africa and I travel Africa extensively and I'm all too aware of what's happening on this continent when it comes to wildlife. And um, But that's where it needs to start. So I progressed very naturally into hunting, you know, as a teenager, um, maybe seven years later, um, and didn't really, I don't think I've really thought much about it um, until very recently when I made the decision that I did. Yeah. But it hasn't really been conscious. I think subconsciously maybe because you, you find yourself being quite defensive if you're being challenged, um, and there are a lot of arguments you can just pull out of your back pocket to justify what it is that you're doing. Um, and if you actually unpack that, what you're you're being defensive because deep down there's something that doesn't really sit that comfortably and uh, and and so on. But very often, certainly with me, I think it was unconscious to, to, to a large degree. Yeah, and it's so wonderful that now you've become aware of this insight. Chris, as you know, we are based here in California and we have many listeners in North America. Give us a little insight into sport hunt hunting culture and business in South Africa, and in particular, how it attracts and keeps participants i think there are two things going on i think there's there's hunting that the locals do uh which is the kind of hunting that i was involved in which isn't big five or big seven uh trophy hunting i think the market that's targeted at the united states in particular is very much more in the vein of the um trophy hunting market which is massive money and clearly um some serious issues need to be addressed there um, I, I think you know, South Africa is, is largely a, a gun-tolerant society, and a lot of people shoot here. Uh, not extensively. Um, people like me, once, twice a year, uh, but I, I'm sure there are a lot of us. Um, culturally, uh, I don't think we're too different to what you experience. I think also harking back to what I've just been saying, you know, there are certain kind of almost rituals that uh, or rites of passage to being inducted into hunting, notably things like 
blooding. I mean, I, do you know what I'm talking about there? No. The blooding ceremony? No. Uh, the blooding ceremony, when you when you shoot your first antelope, uh, someone uh, puts uh, you know blood on your face. And in my case, I had to drink a, a brandy cap full of blood. Um, it's almost like an initiation right amongst hunters. Oh, that's horrible. Uh, it's, yeah, it's certainly prevalent in this country, and I, I, I am aware of it being so in, in the United States as well. So once again, it's kind of approbation from mentors. You're inducted into the society, if you like, of like-minded people who are basically like-minded because they're killing things or killing animals or say things or yeah. they're animals um <clears throat> so there are these various kind of codes or cues that come into it that you know you're you're kind of welcomed into into the fold and this is why i think also in in the you know in the media you see such a kind of organized reaction uh from the hunting fraternity who Generally, uh, economically, are quite powerful people. Um, there's a, a lot of money involved. These people are at the top of their game professionally, and they know how to manage PR and um, lobby, particularly uh, governments, um, uh, to basically maintain this way of life. And uh, that's uh, very clear to me. Chris. We have heard pro-hunting commentators and even some conservationists state that legal game hunting is needed to support wildlife protection. Briefly, what is your feeling on that? And even if current hunting revenues somehow go toward protecting other animals, does it have to continue in that fashion? Well, I, I, think, I think essentially the argument, what we're talking about is return on capital. Uh, we're talking business now. We're talking about land producing a return. If you look at Africa, before, uh, before Africa was colonized, there wasn't a problem here at all. It's only us uh, bringing our ways and particularly putting up fences that now creates a problem. A fence then becomes a, an economic unit, creates an economic unit that has to produce a return. So the logic goes that if you're not producing it from cattle, then it'll have to be game. And if it can't be game and it must be cattle, then we'll have to kill the game to make way for the cattle. I see it slightly differently. I mean, I've traveled extensively. Tanzania has no fences. Some of the most beautiful ground I've ever been to, been to has been a place called Grometi, right up in the northwest corner of um, Serengeti. Uh, not a fence in sight and uh, not a rifle in sight either for that matter. And I think the key to that has to be a kind of organized approach to conservancy and land management and land ownership, whether that is capital actually buying land um, to, to, to leave uh, for game, you know, as, in, as in game parks, or whether it's conservancies where a farmer with a lot of land is, is paid a stipend to leave animals alone. Um, there are lots of models that can be followed. But I think it's a very convenient argument to turn around and say, well, we have to kill so that they may live. I don't buy that. I don't buy it at all. I think there are far more sensitive ways of doing it. And I think it's just an argument that falls very neatly into the hands of people with a trigger. Yeah. Chris, would you like to offer any final comments to my listeners? Well, other than uh, it's been a pleasure to be asked to be here. I've been mean, quite a surprise. Um, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm just honored to have been asked. And... Um, I'm not here really to point fingers at people or anything, but I hope that you know my insights have helped maybe others out there who are grappling with the same issues to maybe think about it. And um, if that happens, then I'll, I'll be a very happy guy. 
Chris, I'm so glad that you've joined us on Animals Today to share your journey. Your honesty is truly an inspiration to so many people worldwide. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. storm season. Bad weather is fast approaching, and if your power goes out, you'll need a strong flashlight. And that's where the Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlight begins. You'll have a powerful LED flashlight right at your fingertips when the power goes out. Now, normally, a Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlight retails for $24.99. We have a special offer today. If you call right now, 1-888-877-0490, that's 1-888-877-0490, you can get two of the Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlights for only $24.99. But you have to call now. Call 1-888-877-0490. When the power goes out, the Blackout Buddy comes on. It plugs directly into your wall socket for constant charging. And when the lights go out, boom, you have super bright LED lights lighting the way. Call right now. Call 1-888-877-0490. You don't get one, you get two for just $24.99. But call right now or go to MyCoolGadgets.com. That's MyCoolGadgets.com. Attention invention and gadget lovers, join our invention testing club called the Da Vinci Club. Every month we're going to send you a brand new gadget, a brand new invention, things that are not on the market before, and you fill out a couple questions. And you get to keep the invention. Maybe the invention's the new OctaCore tablet that's coming up. Maybe it's the new garlic cutter. Every single month you'll get a brand new invention, and the value could be several hundred dollars or twenty, thirty dollars. Every month it's different, but we need your evaluation. And it only costs twenty dollars a month. Call one triple eight eight seven seven zero four nine zero. That's one triple eight eight seven seven zero four nine zero. Or go to my coolinventions.com. It's mycoolinventions.com. How about that? A brand new invention every single month. Innovative technology nobody's ever seen before. You get to see it first. All you have to do is answer a few questions. Call one 877 Here's the problem. Security systems are antiquated and old. What do you got? Some motion sensors, some strippy things on the windows. Seriously, when did they invent that? The 40s? And we pay month after month after month for security. 30 bucks for peace of mind? Forget about it. Introducing the plug and safe portable sensor alarm. Listen to this puppy. You take it out of the box, you flip on the on switch. In 30 seconds, it scans your house with recently declassified military technology, with infrasonic wave technology. It knows your house better than you know your house. 
anybody touches a window or a door, any point of entry, bang, the siren goes off, and the siren goes off with the legal limit of sound. You could have a party with a hundred people singing and dancing, hooting and hollering house. It won't go off until someone touches the door or the window. This is the cutting edge security system that's never been on the market before because it's been recently declassified, a military technology that now you can have in your home. Here's the deal. Flip it on. Maybe you're in a hotel. Maybe you're in a condo. Maybe you're on vacation. Maybe the kid's in college. Maybe you have a garage, an RV, a boat, a house. It doesn't matter. You flip the switch and you have the peace of mind. If you have a security system, get one too. You know why? Your security system only works after they break in the door, after they break through the window. Isn't that a little late? This will warn you before anybody's come in. Normally, it sells for $99. The plug and safe portable sensor alarm. Today, 50 people only, $29.99. You heard me right. $29.99 for the first 50 people to call. one 877-0490. That's 1-888-877-0490. Go to mycoolgadgets.com to check it out. Mycoolgadgets.com. If you don't love it, return it. Everything here, if you don't love it, money back guarantee, 30-day money back guarantee. Pick it up. $29.99, 1-888-877-0490. Or go to mycoolgadgets.com. You're listening to America's Talk Radio Network, where America talks. Do you know what a pangolin is? This scaly but cute mammal has the unfortunate distinction of being the world's most hunted animal. And now some pangolin species are critically endangered. People and groups worldwide are finally starting to wake up to the crisis. But is it too late to save the pangolin? And who and what is responsible for their shrinking numbers? I want to welcome Jeff Flocken, who serves as North American Regional Director for International Fund for Animal Welfare, or IFA. His work addresses improving government involvement with wildlife conservation and animal welfare issues within the U.S. and internationally. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much. Jeff, our focus is on the pangolin. And like most people, I was not really sure what this creature was. What is a pangolin? It's a great question. Uh, typically when I say I'm working on saving pangolins, people always assume I'm talking about penguins. Um, totally different species. Uh, pangolins are mammals, um, and they're really not very well known. Um, they have scales covering their entire body, which, uh, with the exception of their face and a part of their underbelly, which is the only mammal on Earth that has that. They're a medium-sized mammal, similar maybe to the size of a raccoon. And they're found in Africa and Asia. There are eight different species, all of which have a generally similar appearance, um, similar perhaps to what you think of as an anteater, a little smaller, and scales instead of hair. So are, are pangolins related to anteaters? They are a taxonomically unique species. While they sometimes are called scaly anteaters, they actually are not true anteaters are relatives of them. Um, they are on their own out there on the taxonomic family tree. Jeff, give us a little detail about how they live, what they eat, their natural defenses, those sorts of things. Oh, I can tell you some things, but it, to be honest, very little is known about pangolins. People have only started studying them recently. Um, how they survive in the wild is almost unknown, and because there are none in captivity, we haven't been able to study them that way either. What we do know is that some of the species are arboreal. They live in trees, while others 
well on the ground and live in burrows. They eat insects, um, vast amount of ants or termites um, or other insects found where they live. Their defense mechanism is actually very interesting. They curl up in a ball, similar to what people associate with armadillos, which renders them completely defense against predators like lions or tigers or uh, any carnivore that might try to eat them. Once they roll into that hard ball, they can't be opened up. Unfortunately, that same mechanism makes them very vulnerable to poachers since you can just grab the ball and throw it into a sack if you're trying to take them away as a human. Wow. So what is the conservation status of pangolins? Pangolins are in big trouble. As I mentioned, there are eight species, four of which, the ones in Asia, are all endangered with extinction in the near future. The other four species that are found in Africa, we don't have a ton of information on their population numbers, but we're very concerned. And that's why a coalition of NGOs got together to petition to list the species as endangered in the U.S. Endangered Species Act. So what are the main reasons they are threatened? They really have two main threats right now. The first is habitat loss, and that's an issue affecting animals throughout Africa and Asia, as well as parts of North America, Europe, and South America, Latin America. But um, in the regions that they are found, Southeast Asia, South Central Asia, and throughout Sub-Sahara Africa, these areas are really subject to expanding population and loss of habitat due to agricultural spread, cities, and using natural resources, from mining and taking charcoal out of forests, etc. So all these things are working against them in terms of habitat. But the real pressing threat these days is from poaching. They are being killed in mass numbers for meat consumption as well as for their scales, which are used in traditional Asian medicines. Also, they can be used as clothing, and eating pangolin meat is sometimes seen as a status symbol in some countries. So, Jeff, are they the most trafficked animals now, as I stated before? The, by far the most trafficked mammal in the world. There, uh, Interpol, which is the international organization that does law enforcement, estimates that nearly a million pangolins were poached and trafficked over the last decade. And when you think about this is a mammal as big as a raccoon or larger, one million of them being trafficked, it's a little mind-numbing. They literally have confiscated crates filled with dead or live pangolins that are going through the illegal traffic, traffic markets into Asia. Um, there is no way for a species like this that has a slow reproduction, is very sensitive to its environment, to, able, to be able to reproduce quick enough to make up for the losses that are happening on the ground. Now, you mentioned the products which are derived from these animals. Who and what countries are the primary end customers? We believe that China... Vietnam and other Southeast Asian countries are the main consumers. That's where the trafficking is really occurring. It's also where the species are disappearing the fastest. Um, however, when we did our analysis of illegal seizure, I'm sorry, seizures of illegal products, um, we found that the U.S. is a consumer. Um, over the 10 years that we studied, from 2002 to 2000, and I'm sorry, 2004 to 2014. The U.S. Interceded, intercepted 26, over 26, 
thousand different pangolin products here in the U.S. Now, most of these were illegal. Some were legal because Asian species don't have full protections globally. It is legal to import them into the U.S. with the right paperwork. But about 99% of those 26,700 products from pangolins that were intercepted at U.S. borders were illegal. Wow. Now, you mentioned these unique, beautiful animals are hunted from their natural habitats. How are they hunted? Unfortunately, because their defense mechanism, I mentioned, is curling up into a ball, well, that works great against a large cat or um, a, a wild dog that's trying to attack them. It makes them very easy to be grabbed by humans. It's one of the interesting situations with, where, because these species are naturally hard to see, they live by themselves except during um, when they're weaning their young, and they are primarily nocturnal, many of them living in trees. It's not a species that you would see normally if you were out on safari or out in the jungles of Southeast Asia. But the on-the-ground poachers have the ability to hunt them and catch them quite readily. And, and once they curl into their ball for defense mechanisms, they're very easy just, to, unfortunately, to throw into a sack and then later to either clip the scales off them or to ship them whole to their end destination where they'll be consumed or ground up their scales into different products that are used in traditional Asian medicines. Oh, that's just all so sad, Jeff. It really is. It's, it's a beautiful animal. Um, they have that long, sticky tongue that's used for getting ants and termites out of their, their holes or from behind bark and long claws, and their faces actually are pretty adorable. Um, when someone sees them for the first time, they usually have a reaction of, what a cute little guy, or yeah. in some, some way, they look prehistoric. You know, what a funky-looking animal. It's not something that you would normally see. They're so unique. But they're still breathing, living, sentient beings, and just to toss them in a sack um, is just horrible. It, it really is, and unfortunately, with the confiscations, frequently they will find crates of live pangolins. Oh. And oh. as I mentioned, pangolins cannot be kept alive. Some of the countries have mentioned trying to farm them in order to meet the demand for their products. But in reality, there's no evidence anywhere of a second generation of pangolins born in captivity anywhere in the world. Um, there's one zoo in Southeast Asia that says they may have had a pangolin born in captivity, but you know, that's one example in the home range. There's nowhere else. That's another reason people have not really ever become familiar with pangolins because it's not a species you see in zoos. Um, I believe there's only one zoo in North America and only a small number in Southeast Asia that have live pangolins they've managed to keep in captivity without dying. And again, as I said, they've never had any success in breeding them. Jeff, is it legal to trade and consume pangolins in China and Vietnam? Yes. It's, it's a little complex. Um, currently, under CITES, which is the International Convention monitoring, regulating the trade in threatened and endangered species. The four Asian species of pangolin have a Appendix 2 listing protection, but zero quota. And what that means is there should be absolutely no commercial importing, exporting of those four species between countries. At the same time, the four African species have a Level 2, Appendix 2 protection, but there is allowed trade so long as the exporting country, the range country, says that it is not detrimental to the species in the wild to export this particular number of animals that are being permitted or, or being requested to be sent beyond the borders for commercial trade. So 
in China, you, in theory, should be able to import African pangolins legally. However, there's no way to tell African and Asian pangolins apart unless you're an expert. Even then, once they're in the scale form, experts would have a very difficult time trying to figure out what species was in front of them. And we know that the Asian species are being heavily, heavily trafficked, and we know that from the intercepted shipments of these animals being shipped in mass to Asia for consumption. And what we're seeing now, though, is that the African ones are starting to be illegally poached as well. Even though they could be legally shipped, we know that they're being poached and taken out of the wild without permits and attempted to be shipped as a black market item to Asia. We're speaking with Jeff Flocken with IFA. We're talking about the threats to the penguin. Don't go away. We're going to continue our discussion right after the break. Attention invention and gadget lovers, join our invention testing club called the Da Vinci Club. Every month we're going to send you a brand new gadget, a brand new invention, things that are not on the market before, and you fill out a couple questions. And you get to keep the invention. Maybe the invention's the new OctaCore tablet that's coming up. Maybe it's the new garlic cutter. Every single month you'll get a brand new invention, and the value could be several hundred dollars or twenty, thirty dollars. Every month it's different, but we need your evaluation. And it only costs twenty dollars a month. Call one triple eight eight seven seven zero four nine zero. That's one triple eight eight seven seven zero four nine zero, or go to my. Coolinventions.com. It's mycoolinventions.com. How about that? A brand new invention every single month. Innovative technology nobody's ever seen before. You get to see it first. All you have to do is answer a few questions. Call one 888 It's storm season. Bad weather is fast approaching, and if your power goes out, you'll need a strong flashlight. And that's where the Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlight begins. You'll have a powerful LED flashlight right at your fingertips when the power goes out. Now, normally, a Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlight retails for $24.99. We have a special offer today. If you call right now, 1-888-877-0490, that's 1-888-877-0490, you can get two of the Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlights for only $24.99. But you have to call now. Call 1-888-877-0490. When the power goes out, the blackout buddy comes on. It plugs directly into your wall socket for constant charging. And when the lights go out, boom, you have super bright LED lights lighting the way. Call right now. Call 1-888-877-0490. You don't get one, you get two for just $24.99. But call right now or go to mycoolgadgets.com. That's mycoolgadgets.com. Announcing breakthrough technology for your security of your home. Simply plug an activator security system into any wall outlet your house. It's like having shields on the house. 
any window, any door, any intrusion, whatever you've plugged into the activator is going to turn on. Light and sound deter criminals. And imagine this, you come home personally, put your own key in the door, the lights turn on for you. Normally an activator security system is $99. But today you're not going to get one activator for $99, you're going to get two of them for $99. Secure your whole house. Call one 877-0490. Check it out at mycoolgadgets.com. That's one 877-0490. And the first 50 people won't get one, they'll get four. It's buy one, get four, still only $99. Call one 877 1-888-877-0490. Or go to mycoolgadgets.com. Here's the problem, nail polish, hair dye, graffiti, tar, how do you get those stains out? Use stains are out. Any stain, anywhere. Nail polish, oil, lipstick, pet stains, old stains, any stains, this will get your stain out. In fact, if it doesn't get your stain out, we'll buy the bottle back from you. Made with natural banana oil, oil from the skin of a banana, biodegradable and organic, stains are out is the solution. Pour it on and get your stain out. Normally, a bottle of stains are out sells for $29.99. Hyper-concentrated. Each bottle will make 16 bottles of stain remover. $29.99 for 16 bottles of dilution. And here's the deal. If you buy a bottle of stains are out right now, we'll give you three bottles. That's 48 bottles worth. That's the deal. Buy one, get three three bottles for $29.99. Call one 877 or go to mycoolgadgets.com. You're listening to America's Talk Radio Network, where America talks. Back to the show, we're speaking with Jeff Flockin with International Fund for Animal Welfare. Jeff, as I read the reports about penguins, I get the impression that concern for them is fairly recent. Is that correct? And has this problem gotten acute recently? That's a great question. In fact, while we don't have good data on what the consumption rates were prior to about the last decade, we do know that the interception of shipments of illegally transported pangolins has been on the vast rise. There are a number of reasons why we suspect it may be happening. Um, at this point, there is a lot more wealth in some of the consumption countries. Uh, there are more individuals who are willing to spend a lot of money on a rare delicacy or a traditional Asian medicine that might contain endangered species parts than there were in the past. Similarly, in countries like the U.S., with so many people from different backgrounds and different nationalities now in the U.S. and Europe and other areas, these markets have emerged there as well. So we really think that the consumption of the, the, these particular animals is on the rise. So, Jeff, we are witnessing the loss of a species. Yes, I unfortunately believe we, we really might be. Everyone is aware of this crisis that's going on right now with elephants and tigers and rhinos, and it's very real for all those mammal species. But I think you'll be hearing more and more pangolins mentioned as the fourth, the fourth species in the same boat. All of those animals are being killed needlessly. They're being killed for consumption as a status symbol product, like the rhino horn being used for ashtrays or just being hoarded in parts of Asia, the elephant ivory being made into trinkets, tiger skins, 
tiger body parts being used in traditional Asian medicines when we know that there are better synthetic, or I wouldn't even say better, but there, there are alternatives to using DNA species parts for medicines both in Western and Asian medicinal cultures. Yeah. So there's no need to be killing these animals for these products, but it's being done, it's being done rampantly. In the past, pangolins have been consumed as part of a subsistence diet by people in Asia and in Africa. But what we're seeing now is there's so much value for their parts in Asia for these other markets, for the status symbol consumption of the meat as a luxury, or for these traditional Asian medicines that include endangered species parts, that they're being poached on the ground and then shipped to Asia for consumption, or ending up in places like communities in North America or Europe that are using them as well. And typically is from cultures that they came from that originally used these in Asia or Africa, but they're part of the products being consumed in those countries now too. So there's a petition filed with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service aiming to protect pangolins. Who is leading this effort and what is the petition asking for? The International Fund for Animal Welfare, along with their partners at the Center for Biological Diversity, Humane Society of the United States, and Born Free, filed this petition to the U.S. government to list seven of the eight species of pangolin as endangered under the U.S. Endangered Species Act. And the reason that we didn't try to get all eight species listed is that one of the species was listed um, a couple decades ago, actually, the Temenix ground pangolin of Africa as endangered. However, for some reason, the other seven species weren't listed. And it happened early on when the U.S. Endangered Species Act was first enacted in the late 70s. So at this point, you know, we know that all the pangolin species are threatened to extinction throughout a significant part or all of their range, which is the criteria to get a species listed as endangered. So what happened was our four groups got together, seeing this massive trade going on in pangolins, and did all the research needed. When you put in a petition to list a species, it's not signing names. It's actually a technical petition with the most up-to-date and best available scientific and commercial trade data. So we went through all the different evidence of seizures and all the information about legal and illegal trade and put that next to what we know about the status of the species on the ground. Are they declining? Where have they disappeared? What's going on with them anywhere they used to be found and maybe currently are not? Put it all together into this large petition, usually about 100 pages, that made the case for protecting these animals under the U.S. Endangered Species Act. So what is being done in Asia and Africa to decrease demand for pangolin products? Well, last, well, just, just a month ago in late June, the first ever pangolin range country meeting happened in Vietnam. It was hosted by the U.S. government and the government of Vietnam. It includes 30 different countries out of the, I believe it's about 40 different countries that have pangolins in, in their country, the range country. And officials from all those governments got together. Um, it also included not-for-profit organization sponsors, uh, which was my organization, IFA, as well as Freeland Foundation, Humane Society of the United States, and NRDC. And we all got together and met for three days to talk about what could be done on the ground to save pangolins as well as what could be done internationally. And what the consensus from this group was that there had to be both protections for pangolins from trade in national and in, in on the ground in countries as well as strengthening of international protections. Jeff, these are beautiful creatures and they need our help. 
Any concluding messages for listeners or a website you would like to share? Absolutely. I would encourage folks who are interested in pangolins to go to www.ifaw.org, that's ifa.org, to learn about opportunities, what they can do to help. As this petition to list among the U.S. Endangered Species Act goes forward, there are lots of opportunities for the public to weigh in. And there's also going to be a real push, I believe, globally for better international protections from commercial trade when the next CITES Conference of the Parties happens in South Africa in 2016. And the more that the public demands these species be protected, the more likely that all the countries, which are most countries in the world, will come to the conclusion that there need to be strict protection against trade with these animals. So there are opportunities to help. We can save pangolins if we can just find a way to stop the commercial trade, make the laws enforceable on the ground with a political will. We can save this animal from extinction. Jeff Flocken, thank you very much for educating us on this beautiful animal. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights. I-S-A-R online. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and participants and not intended to and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of America's Talk Radio Network, its management, and the station. All listeners are advised that neither America's Talk Radio Network nor its affiliates and owners shall be held liable for the content of programs, including any advice given. All listeners are advised to make their own decisions after appropriate consultation with professionals who've had an opportunity to consider completely each listener's circumstances and not in reliance upon the content of America's Talk Radio Network program.